welcome to the True Tabernacle podcast channel. We hope that you find encouragement and inspiration during one of our sermons, discussions, or interviews. For more information regarding our faith community, connect with us on Facebook at our True Tabernacle page. And while you're at it, hit subscribe to this channel to stay connected. spiritual disciplines. Uh, we are in chapter 7, which is more than halfway done with the book. Um, and it's still for sale. They didn't make a new one. It's still up there on the website. Uh, so tonight we are talking about selflessness. Selflessness and how this fits in uh, with the overall theme of the book. Um, if you hit that next slide for me. So selflessness is a spiritual discipline, and we're talking discipline as in training that corrects, perfects the mental faculties or moral character. Uh, and the verse for the book would be 1 Peter 5 and 10. But the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after that, ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. So the idea is that as Christians, we will continue to grow in Christ, become established, we'll strengthen ourselves, uh, and strive for that perfection that the Bible talks about. Um, so let's all pray. Thank you, Jesus, for another Wednesday, another opportunity to come into your house with like-minded people, Lord. Another day on earth to continue to get closer to you. I ask that you would be with us, bless us in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So selflessness is kind of a mouthful and is also another one of those difficult things that the Bible wants you to do that God wants you to do. Um, and like I said, it's definitely a discipline that we have to strive for because it is not something that comes natural to us. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, um, which may be by Rick Warren or may not be, the internet was very confusing, uh, but the quote is, true, hum true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. And I think that's a perfect quote for what selflessness is. It's not thinking less of yourself. You don't think of yourself as a bad person or an evil person. It's just the focus and the attention isn't always on you. You put some other people in front of you. So a great story um, comes from way back in time. Uh, we have a man named Edmund Hawley Haley. I think most people say Haley. Uh, but Edmund Haley was an English scientist and mathematician, uh, and he is the man on the left with a part in his head. Uh, and he is, he is a knight, an English knight, so it's actually Sir Edmund Haley. Uh, and he is known for predicting the orbits of comets and things that fly through space. And he even has a comet named after him, Haley's Comet. 
which you may have seen. I think it flew by Earth within my lifetime. So you've probably seen it <laughs> uh, or heard about it at least. Uh, and he's probably one of the top English mathematicians, scientists, uh, when it comes to space. Uh, but his work was mostly overshadowed uh, because of the other scientists that worked during his time. Uh, the most famous scientist would be this man on the right, Isaac Newton. Uh, Edmund could have gotten more recognition in his life if he was born at a different time. Uh, but there was also a point when Edmund teamed up with Isaac Newton and they came up with all this cool stuff uh, because Newton was having trouble with his work. He couldn't get the math problems to work out. Uh, things weren't looking good. People were making fun of him. So Edmund Haley went over, decided to help him out. Um, and while they were working together, Newton came up with the mathematical principles of natural philosophy, which I do not recommend reading. It's pretty boring. But inside of that book is the three laws of motion, which we still teach. Like I just taught it a few years ago in fifth grade. So uh, very important stuff. Has to do with orbit and stuff like that. Uh, but I mean, as long as it works, you're fine. Uh, Haley could have taken credit for Isaac Newton's work. Uh, he was the one that helped him figure out the math problems. Uh, but instead, he propelled Newton higher than himself instead of taking any credit. So Haley is a person that showcased selflessness. Uh, Paul teaches us in Galatians that the desires of the flesh and the spirit are always in conflict with each other. The desires of the flesh would include things like greediness and self-interest, while the desires of the spirit include generosity and treating others better than oneself. If we want to truly be selfless, we need to surrender to the urges of the spirit. Selflessness can be tricky, though. Some people do volunteer to help others, and some people do things because they're the right thing to do. But there are always people who are going to do good because they like to let people know that they're doing good. Some people are always in it for the intention or it helps them gain something, like a tax write-off or something like that. Uh, Luke 6, 32, verse 34. And also, I want to mention, I believe most of my scriptures tonight are going to be in the ESV. Uh, I do believe there's one or two in the KJV, but if you're following along in your Bible, just wanted to let you know that. Uh, so 32 says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Verse 33 says, and if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those to, for, from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. So God is calling us to something higher than that, and sometimes we need to take a step back and ask ourselves if we are doing things because they benefit us, or do we do the things that we do for the Lord and not for ourselves? And even though we know that we're doing things not for our gain, Jesus tells us very upfront in Luke 6, 35, it says, but love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward 
will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So the question is, when you're doing things, it's not, are you doing things just to be doing them? It's, are you doing things focused on God while you're doing them? Our motives have to be in the right spot. We have to have the right motives when we're doing things. People struggle with lots of different types of sin. Everyone needs help overcoming issues with sin. Even Jesus uh, prayed that the cup would pass from him. Self is a very strong part of our human life. Selfishness takes many forms. It's not just someone who doesn't share. Uh, and the book talks about five forms of selfish, five forms that selfishness can take. And I believe I have them listed. The first one is peer pressured, appreciation starved, quality control, and tenacity driven. And that's definitely four, so I can't count. Uh, so peer pressured is when people are looking for acceptance by blending into the crowd, they're always following after others and morphing into whatever it takes to gain acceptance. Notice that acceptance doesn't always equal popularity. Peer pressure doesn't have to get you in with a big group of people. It can get you in with one person or two people. Uh, some people will change everything about their entire lives just to get accepted by one person. And doing things to be accepted is a form of selfishness. So a peer pressured, person who lives a peer pressured life is a form of selfishness. Appreciation starve. Other people will do things and buy stuff so that other people will notice them. They desire to be appreciated and recognized. Something we, you can see all the time in any school you go to. Kids will do all sorts of crazy things just to get a couple people to smirk or laugh at them. Uh, things like acting up in class. You have the one kid that forgets everything all the time just so the teacher will ask them about it. Uh, you have the one kid that brings toys to school every day so that other people can play with them. Uh, we also see adults doing similar things, buying cars they can't afford or they shouldn't buy, uh, living in places that they probably shouldn't do just so that other people can notice them and give them respect. Seeking appreciation and respect of others is that second form of selfishness. Quality controlled is the third. Some people showcase their selfishness by always correcting or condemning others, by reminding everyone of all the flaws around them or the problems that they've created that are not their problem. Uh, they ensure that everyone is reminded that they don't measure up to them. They're the quality control person, a nitpick, an overanalyzer. Uh, sometimes it's just being a grammar Nazi. Someone's always correcting your typing or the way you talk. Uh, that is a form of selfishness, making sure that people know that you're above them. You're better at them than things. Uh, and then the last one is tenacity-driven. Um, and the book says tenacity-driven tenacity people uh, deals with pushiness. So these are people who will bulldo bulldoze their way through life, and they'll bulldoze their way over people in order to accomplish whatever goal they think is necessary. They're willing to use you, abuse you, as long as it gets the results that they want to get. So no matter what form your selfishness takes, as a human, we are all 
naturally selfish. Falling into temptation is also often an act of selfishness. Temptation comes from desires that we already have, and those desires mixed with a little selfishness can lead to sin. 1 John 2.16 in the ESV says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. When we look at the story of Adam and Eve, the first story in the Bible of someone falling into temptation, we can see that when Adam appealed to Eve, he used her selfishness against her. Satan tells her that she would be like God, and then he tells her how the fruit would benefit her. So Eve, she looks at the tree, and then she starts seeing what she wants to see in the tree. Genesis 3 and 6 says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. She saw all the ways that Satan had said the fruit would benefit her, and her selfishness became too much. And we are the same way. Our selfishness leads us to doing things that we know we shouldn't do. James 1 and 15 says, Then desire, when it, it, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Our selfish desires, when not checked, can grow into much more than selfish desires. They can grow to sin with lasting negative side effects. Selfishness also goes after what is the most immediately gratifying, the quickest return on our investment, which can lead to a lot of real bad decisions. For instance, Abraham and Lot. When they were going to split up and travel, Abraham said to Lot, you can pick whichever side you want, and I'll go somewhere else. And that's how they decided. So in Genesis 13, 10, 11, and Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. And then the beginning of verse 11 says, so Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley. So Lot looks up, he looks around the land, and he sees that this little spot is better has more water, more vegetation probably than all the other areas. So not thinking any further than that, he decides, plant's good, I'm going to go there. First thing he saw, first thing he wanted. Um, He didn't think about the damage to his family it could have caused from living that close to a city like Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, If you keep reading, Abraham has to save him from being kidnapped soon after this. Uh, And then God destroys the cities that he's living in, uh, and luckily he gets saved at the last minute. But Lot chose the city because it looked pleasing. It had a short-term reward. It was very promising, well-watered vegetation. But if he had looked closer, if he had taken his time, not let the selfish desires of his heart get in the way, he might have noticed that things weren't as great as they seemed on the surface. Might have noticed that there was a city here that wasn't very good at all. Might have noticed there was a bad area. 
Uh, I'm sure if he'd have talked to God, God would have probably said, probably not that place, go somewhere else. Um, But living a life like Jesus wants us to live has no room for selfishness. And it is by his examples that we try to learn to be unselfish people. Paul tells us this in Philippians 2, 4 through 8. He says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Being spiritually disciplined is striving towards this maturity as Christians and this perfection that we can only achieve through Jesus. And we have a blueprint to follow right here in the Bible to make ourselves people of no reputation by also looking on the things of others, which is a fancy way to say taking an interest in people other than yourself and taking on the form of a servant. Selflessness is being about others. Selflessness is not something, though, that comes naturally to us. Humans are pretty much born selfish, uh, and selfishness, I mean, although it's not good, uh, it does actually kind of keep us alive when we're kids. When we're hungry, we scream, somebody feeds us. If we're wet, we scream, somebody dries us up. So it kind of works out for, you know, the first few years of your life. Selfishness keeps you alive. But as you get older, you start to shed that selfishness, and your parents usually help you become a person who thinks about other people and not just yourself. Uh, Because no one likes an adult that cries when they're hungry or screams or still wets themselves. Those are things that we don't do anymore. Okay? Um, And recently we have seen a lot of selfish adults in our life. Uh, And Isaiah details a very interesting exchange um, centered around fasting and selfishness uh, in Isaiah 58. So 58, 3 through 5, the people, or Isaiah is mocking the people because the way they're acting about fasting. Uh, So they're asking, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. So this is Jesus answering back. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? So the people were fasting so that God would see them. They wanted to be recognized. They wanted to be noticed. And they couldn't understand why he wasn't noticing them. Um, And the reason why is because their fasting wasn't producing the right fruit. Uh, They were still fighting with each other. They were still arguing. They were seeking after their own pleasures. Their fasts were selfish acts. And God had other plans and intentions 
for his fasting. Fasting is supposed to help people become more selfless. They're meant to take the focus off of you and put it on other people. So Isaiah 58, 6 says, Is not this the fast I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Verse 8 says, Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and the speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desires in scorched places and make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail." When we begin to focus less on ourselves and become less selfish, then God will really begin to respond and move on our behalf. Another thing about selfishness is that it can often lead to tyranny and not just from world governments. When Saul was king of Israel, his selfishness was his undoing and he ended up trying to kill David more than once. Some people will try to destroy others because of their selfishness. Romans 14, 2 and 3, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. We may not always agree with everything each person is doing around us. Uh, we all have, we're supposed to all have different convictions, values. Uh, we may even have different politics and opinions. And sometimes we can put so much stock in all of these extra biblical things and ideas that we begin to impose them on other people as if they were included in the plan of salvation. But Paul is telling us in Romans 14, uh, 4 and 6, he says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes, observes the day observes, and observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Selfishness will try to force these extra biblical ideas on other people, and selflessness will not. So, how can we gain victory over selfishness? Through selflessness and through Jesus. Jesus did not die for us to live for our own agendas. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, 
but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Acts of selflessness can change the way that people perceive us also, and the way that we perceive other people. This was one of the points Jesus was trying to make when he was telling the parable of the Good Samaritan. In the parable, a man is jumped, he's robbed, uh, they beat him half to death, and they leave him in a ditch. Uh, as he lays there, there's a priest that walks by. Um, there's, instead, of, instead of the priest helping him, he just keeps walking. He actually switches over to the other side of the road so he won't accidentally walk by the guy. Uh, then there's a Levite who are typically helpers of the priest, uh, and he does the same thing. Instead of helping this guy, he switches over to the other side of the road so that he doesn't accidentally walk by the guy or touch him or anything like that. And then there's a Samaritan. The Samaritan comes by, and instead of leaving the man, he helps him out. He covers the expense, takes him somewhere, pays for him to get healed up, um, and then sends him on his way. So the twist in the story is that the Samaritan ends up being the one that does the helping instead of the priest and the Levites. Jesus was telling the story to a group of Jewish people, and the Jews and the Samaritans historically do not get along. Um, Samaritans are a mixed people who are half Jewish and half Gentile. Uh, they had historically fought and hated each other, and the Samaritans even have their own version of the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, uh, and they think that they shouldn't worship in Jerusalem, they should worship somewhere else. So the Samaritan is not supposed to be the hero in the story. Uh, the Samaritan is supposed to be the one that selfishly walks on by, leaves the guy in the ditch. But instead, the Samaritan decides to put aside all the history, uh, all the bitterness he'd held, all the bitterness that was against him, and he decides to help out the man and choose selflessness. How could we change the lives of the people around us if we were as selfless as a Samaritan in this story? If we put aside years of hatred, uh, preconceived notions, and just help people, how much of a surprise would that be to the people around us and in the world if we started acting more selflessly? Do they already see us as selfless people? Something to think about. Selflessness can change things. And it can change other people and yourself. Jesus showed that even though he struggled against selfishness, you can overcome it. Matthew 26, 39 says, And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus overcame selfishness of his flesh by not focusing on what the flesh wanted. He knew what he was supposed to do, so he decided to focus on the selfless desires of his heart. It's easy to be selfless when it's on our own terms. It's easy to give money when we know we have money coming in. It's easy to give up a few snacks to make a charitable donation. We always hear about at youth conventions and stuff, just give up Starbucks for a month and make a pledge to the foreign missionary. Uh, and it's easy to do that. Uh, but it's much more difficult to be selfless when the terms are a little less favorable. 
And if I haven't said it yet, being selfless often means putting others first. So in Romans 12.10, he says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. That's the ESV version. The KJV version also says, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. So putting others first is what we're supposed to do. In the Bible, there is a story of two different ladies, and they both do a great job exemplifying what it means to prefer one another or to show another honor. Uh, in 1 Kings 17, we have the story of the widow who is near starvation, uh, and in the story, there's a drought. They're in the middle of the drought. Uh, this widow has a son, and we find out that she had enough food for one last meal, and then Elijah the prophet shows up to her town, and he sees her, and he asks for food. Uh, 1 Kings 17, 10 through 11 says, So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Her response is in verse 12 when she says, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Which is just a crazy thing to say. Uh, but Elijah wasn't just asking her for a snack. He was asking her for the very last meal she would ever have. She's going to eat this meal uh, and then her and her son are going to have nothing else. They can't get anything else because of this drought. Um, and if this lady was prepared for the last meal, I would say that there's probably a good chance that if her and her son were both eating, there wasn't enough for Elijah, and they were probably already very hungry. So the story goes on, and she ends up making food for Elijah, and then she experiences the miraculous power of God. Verse 16 says, the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty. Elijah told her that all of her stuff would last until the drought was over, and it did just that. Uh, because she, instead of choosing to be selfish, chose to be selfless. Uh, so what miracles could we be missing out on because of a little selfishness in our lives? While the world teaches us to be lovers of ourselves... God is trying to teach us to love one another. There's a story of the barren woman who built a room in 2 Kings. Um, this is Elijah. Elisha is now the prophet, um, and he is visiting the city of Shunem. And he liked to stop at this certain house, and this wealthy couple would feed him, and they'd hang out for a little bit. So one day, the woman, she gets this idea. Elisha's in town. Uh, he's eating but then he would have to go find another place to stay. So in verse, or 2 Kings 4, verse 9 through 10, And she said to her husband, Behold not, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, a lamp, 
so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. So the next time Elisha comes through town, uh, he eats with a couple, and they're like, hey, we built you a whole room on our house. Uh, so he goes and stays there, and while he's staying there, he decides that he is going to ask them what they want um, and finds out that they do not have kids. Uh, so he talks to God, and God hooks it up. They have a baby. Um, and selflessness is doing things for others, sometimes without being asked. So in the first story, you have this woman giving her last meal to uh, Elijah, her last meal. Uh, and then the second one, these people built a whole room on their house for Elisha to stay. And like I said, sometimes the terms aren't favorable. Like if you come to my house, I am not building you a room. Because it's my house. Go to yours. Uh, but this woman built a whole room. Her and her husband built a whole room for Elisha. So in close, selflessness. If you'll stand with me, um, we'll close this thing out. Selflessness is foundational to being an apostolic. Selflessness. When God first poured out his spirit and, first, and the first church began in Acts, many people probably lost their jobs, they lost homes, uh, their reputations were in shambles uh, because they left behind a whole Jewish tradition to follow after Jesus. Uh, but because of their selflessness, the first church and all the new believers were able to grow and prosper because they took care of each other. Acts 4, verse 34, 35 there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. Verse 35 says, And they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. The world will know we are true believers by our love for one another. Love cares about others more than it cares about self. The foundation of the gospel is selflessness. Jesus laid down his life for you. That is the ultimate selfless act. We are to lay down our lives for others. So as Amanda sings, if anybody has a need they would like to pray for, the altar is open. Uh, please pray with us, sing with us.
Praise the Lord. Uh, thank you for coming out on Wednesday. Check your bulletins, your emails. Um, we will see you all Sunday. Let's bow our heads and pray. Thank you, Lord, for another Wednesday, another opportunity to be in your house. Thank you for continually blessing us, keeping us, um, providing for us, Lord. I ask that you would help us to continue to grow and strive after you to become more selfless people as we continue to go out in this selfish world. Thank you for all that you've done, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.